0: Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. The Android Kill by John Jakes. This was first published in Planet Stories, January 1952. I'm not a huge reader of John Jakes. I assume you're familiar with him.
1: A little bit, but he also has never really attracted me.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's 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 pretty well known. I think um, sort of on the edge of science fiction for or fa- science fiction and fantasy for uh, like Brack the Barbarian, and in mainstream, he's he's known for the North and South books, which yeah. is like Civil War. He's got a lot of historical stuff in his his big catalog. I think that's probably where he spent most of his. His writing career is in historical fiction, yes but uh he 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 did a sort of a lot of um sword and sorcery stuff in the seventies and um as I haven't read that much of him i it, this story really makes me want to read more because <laughs> even though it's it's pretty short um and it's it's i know exactly what it's doing the language is quite nice and um I think it's short enough for you to read it to me. I read it to myself this morning. I I read it, I don't know, a couple weeks ago as well. And uh, I I think the language is quite nice. Do not take silence for assent. Okay? No problem.
1: I will be happy to read this. Uh, What we mean by nice, what we mean by the language, that's something I think we ought to discuss.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: The Android Kill. Caffrey slammed the great steel doors and walked forward through the gym. His bare feet slapped on the mats and the cane of iron hard Venus jungle wood swung lightly in one hand. He wore only dirty white trousers. Sweat stood shining on him under the glow of the ceiling lights. He cursed the ship silently for being old and run down and without any cooling units. His beefy face moved from side to side, watching The black eyes took in every bit of movement. He saw all that went on. It was his ticket out of the stinking world of frozen starred space of class nine freighters and unholy cargoes. The slender blue gray androids were exercising. They vaulted on the parallel bars, dangled from the rings, worked with the pulleys. Even the women and the children exercised. They did not sweat because their bodies were not made for perspiration. But Caffrey could see their muscles twisting and shivering under the slate hides, developing. A strange kind of noise filled the vast gym. Muted gruntings, whispers of breath, solid slaps of hands and bodies on bars and mats. The androids did not look at Caffrey. They were accustomed to slavery. They knew they had been dead when they were born. Caffrey stopped walking near the left wall. Two android males were conversing. They leaned indolently, tiredly against the brown wooden bars. Caffrey's face lost its flabbiness, becoming stripped of everything but purpose. He walked toward them, conscious of his own strength. The exercising of the others went on around him. Slap and soft wind of breath and creak of apparatus. The heat was a near tangible cloud. Why aren't you two working out like the rest? Caffrey asked slowly. One of the androids said in a weary voice, I'm tired. I can't when I'm tired. Caffrey's fingers tightened on the stick. They had to be in perfect shape. Had to be. This was his last shipload, and by God, he swung the stick up over his shoulder and brought it down in a blurring arc. There was a flat, smacking sound. The android choked. Caffrey struck the other one, and the anger came up from his stomach like fire boiling over. He screamed at them and beat them again. The stick fell. Again. 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 Finally, he stood back, feeling the sweat running down him. He tilted his head and gulped air. Now, he said... Very quietly, now you inhuman sons of Slate, start working. The two of them watched from the gray mats where they were crouched. Brief resentment was in their eyes. Caffrey bunched his muscles and kicked. The androids head snapped backward against the bars. He grunted. Then both of them got up and walked over to the pulleys. They began to exercise. Rapidly, Caffrey laughed and walked on through the gym, not watching them anymore. He went through the next bulkhead and spun the lock wheel, then padded down the corridor under the ceiling lights that shone like foggy blue eyes. Dillman, his astrogator, a young kid with yellow hair and an aggressive jaw, was in the chat room. He was working with a course computer. Dillman had been a student at the University of Venus, Cloud City, when he killed an officer of the control police in a fight over a girl. Dillman was good in the slave game. Dillman was getting hard. Caffrey closed the door. It clanged loudly. Dillman looked around. Hello, Captain, he said. We're right on course. Mars in six hours, 14 minutes. Caffrey nodded, slumping down into a thickly padded shock chair. Behind the wide observation window, space made endless black, and stars hung there like pieces of a broken diamond. The swollen ball of the sun burned above the ship, and Mars lay scarlet, just ahead. Distant rumbling from the old, corroded jet tubes filled the room. "'How's everything?' Caffrey asked. "'Engines?' All right, Dillman said, leaning against the astrogation table. few pieces of stuff failed to fission a while back, but everything's okay now. Caffrey waved his hand. Get out the bottle. Dillman grinned and pulled open a green metal wall cabinet. He filled two tumblers with the syrupy swamp wine and handed one of the glasses to Caffrey. The captain of the ship drank half breathed loudly and emptied the glass he hunched deeper into the shock chair resting i'll be glad when it's over dillman really glad do you mean that sir hell yes i mean it in this business you've got to be tough but i'll be damned if a man can go on kicking people around all the time some place he's got to stop well this trip will make my pile and i can stop Got a job waiting, shuttling passengers to the temple ruins west of Red Sands on Mars. This isn't any party, Dillman admitted. Slavery's a funny thing. I thought it went out a long time back. But everybody on Earth is making such mental advances, he pointed at his skull and grinned wryly, that they just haven't got any time to do any real work. And of course... These poor wastrels we've got on board aren't really human beings. How do they make them, Cap? Caffrey shrugged. God knows. The globulars on Centauri four turned them out by the hundreds, almost as good as human beings. They have kids, they get sick, they get mad, and they don't mind working. They don't know what else to do. He sighed, watching the circle of Mars beginning to grow big and bloated and red beyond the window, although it's one hell of a job to put muscle on them. Dillman poured out some more liquor and raised his glass. His eyes were bits of hard rock. Here's to the last trip, Cap, and I only hope the big boys of Workers Incorporated give me this ship. Caffrey nodded and drank. A green sign flashed over a bank of machinery. End of exercise, period, it blinked. End of exercise, period. End of Rising, Caffrey walked to the machinery, pulled a large leather-handled switch. He visualized with pleasure the great doors opening and the androids, the artificial humans, stumbling back into the dim, stinking holes to wait quietly on the last stage of the trip before the chains closed on them. Caffrey laughed out loud. Dirty joke, Dillman asked, faintly anxious. No, just thinking about what I'll get paid. Two thousand solars. "'Why, man, that's enough to live on for years. "'Plenty of wine and an easy job, and women, bless them.' Dillman started to reply when the comm system rattled. A big man moved to the machine and pressed the button. "'Caffrey Bridge!' he growled. "'What the hell is a quiet voice?' cut him off. "'Deadly, precise, like a small knife cutting into him. "'Captain, this is Doc. I'm down in the android hold. "'You'd better come right away. "'Doc!' Caffrey began but the machine clicked off he slammed it with his fist doc damn it doc there was only a faraway rumble of the ship's great iron heart he swung around heading for the door come on he said quickly nothing's gonna happen not on this run nothing they ran through the halls under the blue lights clambered down the ladders ran through more halls and then they stood in front of the big black door Caffrey turned the wheel slowly at first and then faster until it spun and blurred into invisibility. He stepped back and the doors opened. The hold was dark and musty. In the tiers of bunks, the androids huddled like not quite black shadows. They said nothing. They watched. There was only a smell of antiseptic in the air, healthful, clean and rotten all at the same time. Caffrey and Dillman moved through the endless rows of bunks. Farther down, Caffrey could see Doc, crouching over a low bunk, his cigarette lighter aflame. He knelt there, a small, bulbous gnome of a man, with weary, defeated eyes and thin hair lying over his skull. An android boy of about seven years lay on the bunk. Doc looked up as they stepped up to him. His face was filled with the weariness of his eyes, with too many years and too much that was wrong. Well, said Caffrey, watching him. Doc's lighter jumped and flared bright when he spoke. The boy is sick, Doc said. Very sick. Caffrey clicked his fingernails together. Did you call me down here for that? There was a restless stirring from the bunks. Certainly, Doc replied. It might be dangerous. What the hell's the matter with him? Doc shrugged. I don't know. How do I know what kind of diseases androids get? Don't you understand what this could mean? No, said Caffrey. I don't. His voice hardened. I'm going back up to the chart room. We dock on Mars in a few hours. Doc sighed and lifted his misshapen body. All right. He turned to a woman near the bed. The woman's eyes were liquid and full of hurt. I can't do anything, Doc said. I don't know what's the matter with him. Caffrey felt stupid seeing sorrow expressed for a woman who wasn't even human. Doc snapped his lighter closed, and the circle of fire was gone. Caffrey breathed easily. It's too damn dark, Dillman whispered as they moved toward the door. He stumbled against a bunk and swore. Keep quiet, Doc said very softly. Just you keep quiet. Caffrey closed the black door and passed out cigarettes. The smoke whirled up to the ventilators like a dancing blue dragon. Doc, he said, trying to control his anger, I'd like to know why you're getting so excited. This is the first time I've seen disease in an android, the little man replied, and I don't know whether the disease is harmful to them or not. I mean seriously harmful, but remember what Terran scarlet fever did on Antares 2nd. We've taken care of scarlet fever. It isn't fatal to us, but remember what it did to the people on Ontario's second. Yeah, said Dillman, leaning against the wall, covering his eyes. Caffrey remembered, too, the bodies and the fine yellow buildings and the rot and the inability to stop the corruption. The system had known panic. I see, he said. You think whatever's wrong with that kid even though it might not bother them much, might kill us. Is that it? Yes, said Doc. He blew out some smoke. Caffrey grabbed his arm. Nothing's going to happen. This cargo is going to Mars and nothing's going to happen. I've worked for this a long time. Understand, no sick kid is going to keep me from landing on Mars. You're the captain, said Doc. He shambled off down the corridor, trailing a worm of blue smoke in the air behind him. He rounded a corner out of sight, small and gnarled and tired of arguing. The last of the smoke vanished into the ventilators. Dillman laughed gratingly with effort. Let's go get the rest of that bottle cap. Sure, said Caffrey. There were three hours out from Mars. When the comm system came to life again, Caffrey jumped out of the shock chair and jabbed the switch. A nervous, excited voice came screeching at him. Skolnick, captain, what's wrong? It's Doc. He's on the floor of his game. He's speak up, man. Caffrey yelled. Skolnick's voice pulled itself back from shivering pieces and went on. Doc's lying on the floor, and his voice is awful, and the muscles in his face and arms and all over him are jumping. Oh, Captain, go on, Caffrey said savagely, go on, and he's screaming, Captain, and we can't stop him. Caffrey was out in the hall before the last syllable was uttered. The bulwarks sprang open as he kicked them, his feet slap-slapped frantically. And when he was two sections away and one deck above Doc's quarters, he heard the screaming. It rose and shrilled and howled and made him more afraid than he had ever been in his life. The carefully acquired veneer of toughness shredded away like cheap cotton candy that was eaten at a Terran carnival and dissolved to nothing in the mouth. The 18 crewmen of the ship were in the hall, milling and twisting their caps in their hands. Skolnick stood with his back to the wall. He had vomited on the floor, and now he was crying. Caffrey was sicker when he smelled the bitterness, but he shoved at the crewmen. They stumbled against one another like dumb animals. Their faces belonged to little boys on dark nights when they walked home alone. They seemed to resist Caffrey's efforts, and he clubbed at them, the breath tearing in and out of his chest. Finally, he stood with his hands on the edge of the cabin door. His hands had been sweating, but now he felt, actually felt, the wave of cold sweep through his fingers, up his arms. Doc was on the floor like Skolnick had said. His scream made an endless mad tune above the engine rumble. His body was lifted from the floor, jerked, twist, thrown back again like some frantic, jiggling marionette on strings. Doc, Doc, Caffrey called. Doc, listen, it's me, Cap. The screaming slobbered into nothing. Doc's hands clutched at the iron frame of his bunk. They held there while the rest of his body was convulsed and pulled into insane contortions. Infected, Doc said, forming his words into a shriek. I got it from the child. We're all infected. All will infect Mars. Spread, spread, spread. The last word went up and up like the ship's takeoff siren. Doc struggled to hold onto the bed, but his body went jerking across the floor. Dillman peered over Caffrey's shoulder. The big man spoke very softly. Go back to my cabin. Get my gun. Hurry. Dillman hesitated, then ran. Caffrey stood fascinated, watching the devil's dance of the diseased man. Finally, something cool and hard was placed in his hand. The scream tore at his eardrums. Quickly, he looked at the ceiling. He pushed the gun forward. He pulled the trigger several times. The shots roared and blended with the engine thunder. When the noise was gone, Caffrey realized that the screaming had stopped. He dropped the gun. He turned around and closed the door of the cabin and locked it without once looking at the dock. Skolnick still sobbed over against the wall rapidly. Caffrey explained what had happened in the android hold. The men stood around, not looking at one another. They breathed loudly, and the blue lights in the ceiling watched them, emotionless. Caffrey said, We'll all be like that after a while. Maybe if we beam to Mars, they'll know what to do, Dillman whispered. Maybe we can get there in time, and maybe they can stop the disease. Caffrey looked at him, and maybe not. He walked away. Dillman didn't follow. He walked back to the chart room and sat down in the shock chair. Beyond the post, Mars was red and waiting. Caffrey thought seriously for the first time in many years. He wanted to get the ship to Mars. Maybe the doctors could help them, and maybe not. They might infect others. The disease might spread, and if no one knew how to handle it, he didn't want to think about that. Doc hadn't known what to do. Doc was a good man, medically. He had been a little run down, a little secondhand because of his seedy deals and his need of money, and his operations on women in dirty back alley rooms on a hundred worlds. But Doc couldn't stop it. And sometime, Caffrey thought, alone and facing himself at last, a man has got to stop being tough. You can't live with yourself forever and be tough. Just once you've got to do something for your self-respect. He knew it. And all the cursing and shouting could not cover up the fact that he knew it. There was a chance for them. But the chance might be be deadly, more than deadly, to Saul's worlds. The androids didn't matter. They were pieces of metal and plastic and skin constructed to get sick, but they didn't matter. Caffrey laughed. They didn't matter. But they mattered when you thought of Doc being shaken to pieces in agony. Too perfectly made they were. He laughed out loud at the tremendous, mighty irony of the joke. Dillman came in the door. What are you going to do, Captain? Caffrey stood up and sighed. He walked to the comm system. He opened it. He spoke into it for a few moments. He shut it off. He turned to Dillman. That's what we're going to do, he said. Dillman began to yell. He hit Caffrey, pummeled at him, screamed in fear. Caffrey had to knock him down on the floor and hit him with his cane. None of the other men gave him trouble. Carefully, he moved to the course computer. He made corrections in the directional tape. The ship began to groan. It swung into a new course. Caffrey took one final look at Mars, thinking of the quiet days, shuttling people to the temple ruins west of Red Sands, of the liquor and the warm, laughing women, but no more. The sun lay dead ahead. Caffrey sat down and poured himself a drink. Then he remembered something. If the disease hit him, he might alter the course. He smashed the machinery, ripping it apart with his great hands, tearing it so that the course could never be changed. Wires lay severed and bare all over the floor. He picked up the bottle for another drink. The sun was a living ball of flame. He could not look at it. The green sign went crazy. Exercise period. It blinked. Exercise. Caffrey tried to throw a bottle at it. His head twitched. The bottle fell to the floor and broke. Caffrey looked at his hands. at The hairs whitened with sun glow. The hand twitched again. Dillman stirred where he lay. His leg flapped once or twice. Caffrey sat there while the heat began to melt the walls. He felt his body writhing, but it did not matter in the heat there was only a blinding whiteness all around. He sat about he thought about the androids. He thought about Skolnick. He thought at last about Mars. He was still thinking about Mars when the ship fell into the burning maw of the sun.
0: Wow. So I made lots and lots and lots of notes on this very short story. And, uh, the, I guess the lead notes are the colors, the darkness, and the light. There's so many colors in this story. The androids are slate blue. The smoke from the cigarettes is a blue worm or a blue dragon. The lights are blue. The lights, the blue lights of the ship watch them. Then they go into that, that, uh androids slave quarters and it's dark and the only light is the light from the cigarette lighter and they complain about it being too dark and also about it being too light and then of course they get all the light in the world by driving right into the sun this is a pretty interesting story because it doesn't tell you how to feel about anything but it really does a number on, on, you know, think about, like, why... Who are we supposed to sympathize with here? <laughs> the androids, I guess? I guess? But the, the more I read it, and this, you know, this is at least the third time I've read it, with you reading it to me, I noted, like, it's the, the blame game... Uh, who's responsible for this. It doesn't end with the creators of these androids that are basically human beings or aliens that are like human beings. It doesn't end with the crew of this ship who I thought the first time I read it must be like illegal pirating style of uh, smugglers, but they're not. It doesn't end with, with the company that owns the ship. It doesn't seem to end with with anything except sort of all of humanity. The reason these androids are being smuggled in, or not even smuggled, being shipped, is for for purposes needed by humans. And the humans don't seem to care, even though their brains are getting so big and they're so full of smarts now. So the whole there's more and more going on in this the more I think about it. How did it strike you?
1: on my first reading, and this is about my fourth um, on my first reading, it struck me as not very good mm-hmm. um, I thought it was purple prose, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was so dated and and foolish um, you know, big and brawny mm-hmm. and you sons of Slate. and you know and it's nineteen fifty two so You really think that cigarettes are going to be here in the future and really a ship that is so old that it has rusty jet tubes. I Mm -hmm. mean, no one is going to go into space with rusty jet tubes. This thing is written as if it had been written about slave ships, but as if the slave ships were in the 19th century not the 17th or 18th century, mm-hmm. and then it had just been translated into space opera. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I thought the translation didn't work very well. Mm-hmm. However, there are some phrases that stand out. There are some images that stand out, mm-hmm. and there are some facts that stand out. And one of them is, um, has to do with what, as you say, what is the story about? Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me it looked like it was going to be a story about how bad slavery is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it looked like it was going to be a story about, well, it's about how bad slavery is, but slavery corrupts the slavers mm-hmm. and makes them inhuman. Then it turns out that our guy becomes self-sacrificial. He decides to save humanity rather than embrace the small chance chance that humanity might save him, and so at the end, we have to think, oh well he he was wised up by the violence involved, but he wasn't That's because right. it, he still says that the the androids don 't matter so here 's a part that I kind of like, and I think that jakes I, I would point this out: Jakes was twenty. When he published wow. this. So young. this, I don't think this is the work, exactly. I don't think this is the work of a mature man, no. a mature writer, but something is going on. Early on in the story, Dillman asks, he says, How do they make them, Cap? Caffrey shrugged. God knows. The globulars on Centauri formed for turn them out by the hundreds, almost as good as human beings. God knows. But Caffrey doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's been transporting these things. He's an old hand and he doesn't know. So I asked myself, why is it he might not know? Mm-hmm. Does he not know because the origin doesn't matter? Because who cares where slaves come from? Or does he and 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 also Dillman, do they not choose to know? That's right. Because if they were to cho- if they uh, didn't allow themselves to know, then they didn't have to think of these as being human, which let's face it, they reproduce on their own. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're clearly intelligent. Um, you don't have to think of them as human. But if you do think of them as human, and you treat them this way, you have no self respect. Well, guess what? Later on, that phrase on the, la- the last page comes up. Doc hadn't known what to do. Doc was a good man medically. Then we had this throwback, throwback, you know, but he'd been doing back alley abortions. I mean, come on, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, so women are being treated stereotypically. And sometime, Caffrey thought, alone and facing himself at last. A man has to stop being tough. You can't live with yourself forever and be tough. You've just once you've got to do something for your self respect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the androids, they come to matter to Caffrey, but only as far as they reflect on Homo sapiens. So the story ends to me, it ends, ends with a couple of questions. Is this a story about, is the story's attitude one that says Caffrey's homocentrism validates the wider need to grant self-respect to the other? I mean, he's at least granting it to other humans by sacrificing himself, but he also is sacrificing the people on board. 18 18 of these stereotypical Victorian workmen you know with their eyes down ho oh, oh, ho and fumbling with their caps I mean mm-hmm. uh, he's sacrificing them without asking at all this thing maintains antiquated social structures and yet it gives something that looks like an act of self-sacrifice although it sacrifices others mm-hmm. and bravery and so ultimately if you judge the story, As a piece of propaganda, you know, what is the moral it is trying to get across? I think it fails completely. Mm. But if you add, if you think of the story as a work that that is intended to generate conversation, Mm -hmm. if you think that this was meant to ask us to ask, well, if you're going to do this for the good of humanity, why not kill the people on board with you? They're just part of humanity, right? I mean, if you come to think better and, and understand more about self-respect, why not recognize that these slaves actually are human? I mean, not biologically, but... Right? I mean, if the, the question of the limits of the principles involved is vivid because the actions are so antithetical to themselves and when we watch the contrasting motives we have to wonder is there a right answer Mm -hmm. this is a story i think that leads and i'll take it from your your essence this is a story if you want to read one with a friend and talk about it it's a terrific
0: story i agree and it and it has all these things that are there, but don't tell you why. Like, um, I, I was thinking, like, how is this sh- this ship assembled? They're not pirates, as I say. There's a company. When Caffrey gets his retirement, this is his last trip. He's going to retire and shuttle tourists around at the temple ruins on Mars. Uh, and Dillman, he says, I hope, I hope the workers' company gives it to me. The ship that is, so that he can actually
1: workers incorporated. Workers is the incorporated, name of the company. right?
0: Um, and of course, what are they shipping? Is workers to the planets of Mars and Venus and Earth that are full of people? Who and I'm going to read this quote again. He says, "Everybody on Earth is making such mental advances." He pointed to at his skull and grinned wryly. They, they just haven't got any time to do any real work. And of course, these poor wastrels we've got on board aren't really human beings. So, ultimately to blame is the demand for slaves. These guys are just doing the job of shuttling them from one place to another, making them build up some muscle. And Caffrey's He's got an inner monologue going on in here that's so interesting. We see him as a monster. He's hitting these slaves. He seems to enjoy it. And then we get a description of the other crew, Dillman, who has an aggressive jaw and who killed a cop over a girl on at Cloud City on Venus. And then we find out about Doc, who looks like a gnome, but is an abortionist on more than 100 planets. So these are the dregs of society, the people who aren't making all these mental advances, quote-unquote, they're not making any moral advances either. All of these humans need to go into the sun, according to my view. And yet the only one who sort of makes a wise decision, at least in a certain sense, is this guy who... The more I read it, the more I think the whole society is to blame here. They're going to call the planet and it's not, they're not going to get arrested for what they're doing. What they're doing is sanctioned. What they're doing is necessary and dirty and yucky. And nobody who's making all these mental advances wants to think about it. And that's why I think it's, it's a good story on top of all of, you know, the, the nice sort of bright, shiny light of, of simile that we see. And even though it is all this rough and silly and, I mean, androids that reproduce themselves, the only way to think about that is somebody's not telling the truth about something here.
1: And, in fact, they don't want to know the truth, mm-hmm. right? We don't know. It's the it's the globulars who turn them out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They may, in fact, not be manufactured that's at all. That's what I think. So what do you think the title means? It's, the that, Android Kill.
0: That's a real interesting question because I, I think... One way of reading it is just it's it's just the slappy, visceral, meaty sort of feeling that the whole story has, you know, with the colors and the and the uh, the slapping of feet on and the gripping and the sweating. So I think it it has that sort of sense of it's a hard boiled title. But the more I think about it, the more I think um, that it is more expansive than that. And that it includes something for us to think about. I don't have the answer.
1: And talk about. Because Mm -hmm. a story that is this finally ill-fitting, that is the pieces rub up against each other, Mm -hmm. and yet they are potent, leaves us always with more to say.
0: Thanks very much for listening. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.